if you see a Bible near you or you have a Bible even on your phone, you can open it up to Mark chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark chapter 16 in your New Testament. If you got a bulletin when you walked in, you'll see our sermon title for the day is See for Yourself. This week, I was at a store, and the guy in the store just asked me a simple question. He said, hey, what are your plans for Easter? And I said, you have no idea what is coming for you, bro. I said, I'm a pastor, and you need to know, like, in that moment, just kind of behind the scenes in the life of a pastor, when I say I'm a pastor Easter week or any other time, there's kind of two ways that can go. It can be a conversation killer, like they'll start apologizing for cuss words they said to me, or it can be a conversation starter. And with this guy, it was actually that. It was a conversation starter. And so he starts asking me questions. He starts asking me, hey, how did you become a pastor? Like, did you go to school for that? Like, were you just kind of born into that? Like, how does that work? And I just had to chuckle because I know my story and that couldn't be further from the truth. And so I just started to tell him, I said, you know, actually, no, I was running the other direction from pastors and churches as a kid and all growing up, even though I was in the church, which made for an interesting Sunday morning for my parents. And and people would tell me all the time I should believe in Jesus. The pastor would on Easter Sunday, he would give that chant, he is risen. And then everybody else would be like, he is risen indeed. And I would just kind of mumble under my breath and thought everybody was crazy. And I was kind of running from pastors, running from churches. I had assumptions about Jesus. I had, to be honest with you, misconceptions about Jesus. And I had frustrations with the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know if any of you can relate to that today. But that's who I was as a kid growing up all the way through high school. And it wasn't until college that somebody took me aside and said, hey, let's read the Bible together. And I started to read it for myself. That's just, I'm a kind of a skeptical guy. Even now I'm a why guy. And I was back then. And I just started reading the Bible for myself. And I started investigating Jesus for myself. And let me just tell you, that flipped my life on its side. Like I received salvation that way, but I also received a vocation that way. That's why I'm standing before you today. And that's why I'm a pastor. And so that's what I shared with that guy in that store. (laughs) I think it was more than he bargained for. But that is just, that's my story, right? And I don't know what your story is. I don't know how many of you can relate to that. Maybe you're a little bit skeptical. Maybe you kind of need to see things for yourself. And, and that's the opportunity that we have today. Because here's the reality. Even if you are that kind of person who needs to see things for yourself, I think most of us, when it comes to Jesus and the Bible and church and Christianity, we haven't actually taken the time to see it for ourselves. I mean, we've made some assumptions. We, we have some misconceptions about Jesus. Maybe you even have some frustrations with the church at large, but you've never taken time to investigate this person of Jesus and see him for yourself. So that's what we're going to do today. And you're stuck with me for at least 30 minutes. So I got that time with you. We're going to do that together. Okay. So Mark 16, we're going to read this passage and, and then I'm going to give you some things to see for yourself about Jesus. Look at it with me. Mark 16, starting in verse 1. It says this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? That's going to be important in a moment. And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I love the message version in that part. It actually says, you can see for yourselves that that place is empty. Verse seven, he says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now here's the challenge right off the top this morning. I imagine even if you're brand new to church, you've heard this story before. You've been to an Easter service. And if we're not careful, the temptation is to kind of hear this and go through the motions and then go hunt some Easter eggs and go to to brunch. But I don't know if you read just what I read, but we just read about an empty tomb. Now, again, I don't know if you're tracking with me, but tombs are specifically and usually filled with dead bodies. Is that right? So this one is empty. And so the option of just like kind of casually going about our life, that's not one. Amen? Like we have to see this for ourselves. We have to investigate. We have to look at it with fresh eyes. And so that's what I invite you to do. Lean in with me. Look at the text with me right now. I want you to see that we have a reliable resurrection. We have, even if you just look at this text, we have a reliable resurrection. Look at the text closely with me. We're not just given names. We're given locations and family lineage. Look at it with me. Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, Jesus of Nazareth. He's going to Galilee. Mark is showing us this story is connected to history. There's no once upon a time anywhere in this passage. And then we see it even with the tomb itself. We know that the tomb was located in Jerusalem. The tomb wasn't located in a far off land. It was located at the epicenter of of religious and and marketplace in that society. That's where Jesus's tomb was. And other gospels will tell us it gets even more specific, that it was a family tomb, that Joseph of Arimathea, it was his family tomb. And so all of these details are given. Why? Because this actually happened. It was reliable because it was verifiable. Mary, mother of James, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. These are all verifiable things. You could go back and, and, and refute this or confirm this. Which, by the way, pro tip, if you're trying to start a cult, don't, okay? But if you wanted to start one, here's how you would do it. You would have a vision. You would have a dream. Something that no one could confirm or refute. There's lots of those throughout history, isn't there? That's how you start a cult. You have a vision, you have a a dream. You don't tie it to historical events. But that's exactly the story of Jesus. That's exactly the story of the resurrection. Even the book of Mark. uh, We know from historians and scholars, the book of Mark was written in about 65 to 70 AD. That was just about 40 years from Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Tim, I don't, I don't know if that's a compelling case. Like 40 years, that's a long time. And what I would tell you is that the Vietnam War ended in 1975, 48 years ago. And yet we still have people sharing stories about that war, the events that occurred in that war. We still have people that could confirm or refute those things. And we definitely have had that over the last 10 years, about 40 years since it happened. That's what we have with the resurrection of Jesus. We have this, this gospel of Mark that was written soon after Jesus actually rose from the dead. It could be confirmed. It could be refuted. We have the book of 1 Corinthians where the apostle Paul is, is, is writing to these people and talking about the, the resurrected Christ. And he says, hey, it wasn't like five of Jesus' closest friends who saw him alive. No, it was 500 eyewitnesses. And Paul says specifically, hey, most of them are still alive. Like, go ask them. They can confirm, they can refute this. If you're trying to create a fairy tale, you don't tie it to a historical event. If you're trying to create a movement of a resurrection, you don't tie it to history. You don't make it reliable and verifiable. And yet that's what we have in the resurrection of Christ. Amen? So we have a reliable resurrection. I want you to see that for yourself. Maybe you've never taken the time to do that. And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, that's all in the Bible. Like, how, how do we know the Bible is reliable and verifiable? Well, what I would say is I don't have time to exhaust that today for you, but I want to give you some cliff notes. There's a guy named Daniel Wallace. You should Google him if you wonder about this at all. Uh, he taught at my seminary. His name's Daniel Wallace. He's taught all over the world talking about the reliability of the resurrection of the scriptures as a whole. And so I'll just give you the cliff notes. How many nerds we got in the room? Anybody besides me? Okay, so you guys are going to enjoy this. And the rest of us, just, just bear with me just for a moment. As we look at the whole of the Bible, we have these ancient manuscripts. And if you look at historians, the way they would test old text, ancient text, to see if they were reliable to see, was to see how many manuscripts of them did we have. And as you look at the Bible and how it compares to other ancient texts, as you look at ancient texts maybe that you read in high school or college by, by Plato and other works, some of those ancient texts that we call reliable had anywhere from a dozen to a few hundred ancient manuscripts. A dozen to a few hundred. The Bible, the New Testament specifically, we have over 5,500 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek. On top of that, we have other, uh, more manuscripts in other languages. It is the most reliable book that we have. It's why it's still the best-selling book in all of the world. So I want you to see for a moment that this is reliable. That even the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written at all gives us confidence in the resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, in that day, Oftentimes, things weren't written down. Uh, many of you may know, like, oral tradition was the way things were passed down. Only if you were a king and had a lot of money did you hire scribes to write down the chron chronicle your life and your life events. And, and we know about Jesus that he wasn't wealthy, that he was a nomad, that he didn't even have a home. And yet we have four written accounts of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. How? Because it really happened. 
I want you to see for yourself. We have a, a reliable resurrection. Next thing I want you to see for yourself is we actually have an unreliable fairy tale. We actually have an unreliable made-up fairy tale, if you really look at it. Uh, I have three kids. My youngest daughter, I was reading the Bible with my kids one day. And just so you can get some context and kind of picture the scene, uh, some of you may think, well, Tim, you're a pastor. And so like all your kids must like sit quietly and take notes while you read the Bible to them at night. And you need to know that's not the case, all right? Uh, my kids are 13, 10, and 7, are in tons of activities. We typically eat dinner, get home, and we're, we're tired. At least we are. My wife and I are. My kids at 8.30 p.m., any parents testify to this, they get all their creative juices going at that time. And so when we're sitting down, let's, let's read the Bible, children. Let me exegete this text to you. They're not like, yes, Father, what would you have us do? <laughs> No, they're like jumping on the bed, just like your kids are. Okay, let's, let's just all be honest in church today. Everybody calm down. And so we're reading the Bible. One of the things we do, pro tip for parents, we, we read the Action Bible. And the Action Bible is basically like Marvel Comics meets Jesus. And it's amazing. And so one day we're reading the story of Jesus and his birth. And we, we read that, that as Joseph and Mary were getting ready to have Jesus as a baby, they had to flee. And we, I read that, and my youngest daughter, it was so sweet, she said, Dad, don't you mean fly? <laughs> because in her mind, she's reading like Marvel Comics meets Jesus. She's like, no, fly makes more sense. Let me go and edit that for you. And I think it's easy for us all to do that in our culture, right? It's easy to, to, to lump the resurrection of Jesus in with like the Easter bunny. Sure, why not? Santa, why, why not? Like, if that makes you feel good, that's what our culture will say. If it makes you feel good, that's fine for you. But, you know, it's probably kind of a made-up story, right? Like, didn't the disciples, didn't they steal the body? And didn't they kind of create this hype train of Christianity in this movement? Didn't they just kind of make it up? I would say if you actually look at the context, that is very unreliable. That's very unlikely, you see, even if you look at this text and you see Mark tells us there is a large stone in front of the tomb. The women are wondering how they're going to actually get it open. That tomb was guarded by elite Roman soldiers. And listen, newsflash, the disciples weren't Navy SEALs. They were fishermen. And our only example of hand-to-hand combat with the disciples is Peter slicing some guy's ear off. And I, I don't know how many like military combat strategy books you've read. I haven't seen that in any one. That wasn't a thing. And this is who stole the body of Jesus, who overcame this large stone and overcame these elite soldiers. And listen, if you think about it further, like how many people in that society, the religious leaders, the government officials, they wanted to squash Christianity, right? Read the book of Acts. They, they martyred people who were Christians, who were spreading the news of Christianity. They wanted to do whatever they could to squash this movement of Christianity. And you know how they had to do it? You know what they could have done, and it would have simply done that? Find Jesus' body. You know, anybody in history could have squashed Christianity? Just find Jesus' remains. That's all you got to do. And yet nobody has done that. It's an unreliable, made-up fairy tale. If you look at the context, we don't see that. And not only that, this is my favorite. If it's a made-up story, the disciples are the worst storytellers 
ever. Okay? I mean, if you want to make up a story that, that you want get to get people to give their lives to and be true and, and people celebrate Jesus thousands of years later, you don't do what we see in Mark in every gospel. You don't put women at the tomb. See, in that day, women, uh, their testimony wasn't considered valid in court. And yet, they're making up a story like, who should we put at the empty tomb? Like religious leaders, government officials, no, let's put some women. But nobody will believe them. I don't know, let's just try it. <laughs> That's just illogical, right? And then if you continue to read on in the story, what you see is, they include some crazy parts. Like, I would challenge you. We just read from the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest one. Go home and read it. Like, maybe, yeah, do your brunch. Okay. But later this week, go home and read the Gospel of Mark. And you'll see some parts included in there that are just flat out embarrassing. Mark, we think, used Peter as his primary source to write this Gospel. If I was Peter, I'd be leaning over Mark's shoulder and I'd be like, hey, bro, hey, leave that out. <laughs> hey, that part where Jesus called me Satan, yeah, go ahead and cross that out. We don't have to tell anybody that. Hey, that part where, you know, like in Jesus' darkest moment where I denied him three times to a little girl, like when he needed me the most and I wasn't there for him, and it was a little girl, they say that. It was a little girl, and I denied him not once but three times. Can we just, can we just at least pare that down to one would anybody else do that if we're making up the story? And yet they put all those parts in there. They put all the crazy parts in there. Like where Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, yeah, go ahead and throw that in there too. That'll, that'll sell some books. They, they leave in all the crazy parts, the embarrassing parts. They leave in all the seemingly weak parts. Like, you know, this is not the story everybody wanted, right? The story of the Messiah coming, the story everybody wanted was to overthrow Rome. And I love it. Jesus comes along and he says, no, no, no. Uh, here's what we need to overthrow is your hearts. Like your sin inside of you. And actually, you know what? You should love Rome. You should love your enemies. Again, best-selling novels. And in this climactic moment where Jesus could have been the superhero as he's being questioned by Pilate, when he could have said, yeah, I am Jesus, I am the son of God, and, and just started throwing down everybody. What does Jesus do? Matthew tells us he didn't utter a word. I don't know, my favorite movie is Braveheart. Like, blue-faced Mel Gibson. Like, even in his climactic moment, at the very end, he's yelling out, Freedom! That's what sells books. That's what hits the box office. That's what gets momentum. It's not that Jesus didn't utter a word. You leave that part out if you're going to make up a story. Yet it's all in there. Why? Because it actually happened. Because Jesus really rose from the grave. And so I want you to see that for yourself. I want you to investigate for yourself. I may not be able to convince you in 30 minutes, but you need to take some time and go investigate. Read Tim Keller's Reason for God. Go a little deeper. Read N.T. Wright's The Resurrection. Dig a little bit deeper. Read the Gospel of Mark. Look into the case for Christ. There is one. We need to see for ourselves. Last thing, we need to see for ourselves that Jesus made an unprecedented impact 
throughout all of history. What, what amazes me so much about Jesus is this. He lived such an insignificant life in so many ways, and yet he made the most significant impact in all of history. Do you ever think about that? Like he was born in oh little town of Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. Hey, nothing good can come from Nazareth. He was a carpenter, obscure for 30 years. He had three years of public ministry. And he didn't choose the religious elite or the, the governmental elite. He chose a ragtag bunch of, of fishermen and tax collectors. That was his dream team. And yet he changed the world. He didn't write a manifesto. He didn't have a big military feat. And yet he, he changed the world. He split history into two parts, B.C. and A.D. I was thinking about this. How would we know what year it was if it were for Jesus? He changed everything. And in fact, what, what, when it really all changed, when the movement of Christianity really got going, it was after he died. You ever think about that? Like, most religious leaders and movement leaders, when they die, their movement dies. The opposite happens with Jesus. Why? Because he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave. Amen? And so 2,000 years later, a few billion people across the globe, depending on their time zone, right now they're worshiping Jesus Christ. You got to do something with that. He changed the world. He has unprecedented impact. He has unprecedented impact on society. We wouldn't know how to care for people if it wasn't for Jesus. Think about our hospitals. What are the names of all of our hospitals? St. Luke, St. Joseph's, Baptist this, Methodist this. They were inspired by Jesus Christ. Think about the abolitionist movement of slavery. Who did that? Who led that? William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King, people inspired by the freedom of Jesus Christ. Think about orphans. Think about foster care and adoption. We just showed you a video of it. The Jim Foundation. Why? Those people are from America in Uganda serving away from their families with kids with the most severe special needs. Why are they doing that? There's easier lives than that. Why are they doing that? Because Jesus rescued them. Jesus came to where they were and they want to do that for the least of these. You think of rescue missions and, and homeless shelters. You know our beautiful Jesus saves neon cross in the lobby? Did you see it? Did you take a picture with it? You should. It's amazing, right? You know where that came from? You know where that really originated and got popular? Hanging on the side of rescue missions, people caring for the homeless. Why did they do that? Because Jesus saves. So we will too. Jesus had unprecedented, you need to see for yourself. You need to look at the life of Peter and see he was a denier, but he eventually was a proclaimer. You need to look at James. He was a heckler of Jesus. He was his little brother, and he went on to herald Jesus as God. Now, if you have a brother, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was God? <laughs> He'd have to rise from the dead, amen? That's the only way that happens. Jesus had unprecedented impact on the world, on society, on people's lives. C.S. Lewis, Oxford professor, smart guy, went from an atheist to an author of a book called Mere Christianity. Lee Strobel, an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, smart guy, went from an atheist to an author of Case for 
Christ. Come on, somebody. Something's going on there. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. He is risen. That's where you're all supposed to say it. There you go. Okay. Here's what we're in. Here's what I want you to see for yourself ultimately. Not just this is powerful because it really happened, like objectively, it's true. And Tim, now this is great. I have some uh, nerdy facts to, to win my friends over at the next party. That, that's not what today is about. What I want you to see is that Jesus' resurrection is powerful because it's true, but also because it's true for people. That Jesus did all this for people. He did it out of love. Again, we could contrast Jesus with a lot of Roman and Greek gods. They didn't do things out of love. They did things out of uh, motivating fear in people and power. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He rose again for us. See, what's so powerful about the resurrection of Jesus ultimately is that it was personal. He did it for you. And listen, he did it for you while you were still a sinner. He did it for us in this room in 2023 before we ever did a righteous act. He did it. He was God. He did it knowing you would do a lot of unrighteous acts. And he did it in advance. He he died for all of your sin on a bloody cross. He he rose again and conquered the grave in advance, knowing you would reject him, knowing at the very least you would be indifferent to him and you would come to church every once in a while when it suited you. Jesus gave his life for you, knowing that in advance. That's powerful because it's personal. Here's where we'll close. My wife and I, we've been married for almost 17 years. God bless her. Amazing grace. Now, I remember, and some couples, you can remember this day of your proposal. Some of you in this room are hoping for that day of a proposal one day. But I remember the day of the proposal. Man, I put a lot of work into that. I, I got a nice ring. I started to learn about color, cut, and clarity. Anybody with me? I haven't looked at any of that since. I got my roommate to back in those days, not with an iPhone video, video, but like with a big camera he put on his shoulder, kids. And to sneak behind, like in the hallway, kind of creepily, to be honest with you, and video the proposal. Like, I got sunglasses. Y'all can take this one home with you. I got sunglasses for me and my wife so that when I open the ring box, just imagine the picture. I opened the ring box and I said, babe, first, you got to put on these sunglasses. Because I don't want this ring to damage your retina, baby. <laughs> Like, I, I put a lot of work into this thing. And listen, it cost me a lot of money. And let me just tell you, I'm just be honest. Can I be honest in church today? I was pretty confident she'd say yes. And just to be real honest, hopefully this doesn't cause marriage problems. Y'all pray for your pastor. Um, I, if, she, if I didn't know she would say yes, if I didn't have a pretty good idea she would say yes, I don't think I would have gone to all that effort. I don't think I would have proposed at all. If I thought she would say no, I'm not buying that ring. I'm not getting the sunglasses. If I thought she would say no. Listen, here's the power of Jesus 
here's what I want you to see for yourself is that Jesus Christ actually, he, he actually lived the perfect life you could not. He actually died the death in your place for your sin that you deserved. And he actually did rise again and beat death for you, knowing in advance that some of you would say no to him. See that for yourself. Knowing in advance that some of you would be indifferent to him, that you'd go to him when you need something. And Jesus did all of that in advance for you. It was powerful because it was personal. Amen? That, that's love our world has never known. That's why he had unprecedented impact. And so I want you to see that for yourself. You're here today. Don't miss this moment to see that for yourself. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you. See it for yourself. Let's pray together. If you're in this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you're in this room and you would just be honest today and say, and I haven't take taken time to see this for myself, I pray right now that would be your moment. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, maybe you've gone through the motions, maybe you've attended a lot of Easter services, maybe you've even been okay with Jesus. You need to know that's not an option if he really rose from the dead and he's God. And so I would invite you to take this moment. You can stop listening to me and you can start talking to Jesus. I'm going to help you talk to him and give your life to him. You could just simply say this, Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again for my sin. Jesus, I give you my sin and I give you my life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer, and we want to celebrate with you. We want to baptize you. We want to help you follow Jesus. Here's what we do here at Phoenix Bible Church. We help people love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead other people to Jesus. We don't want it to end with today. And so I'm going to invite you in just a moment when we start to sing, you can come forward. There's a prayer team full of folks on my right and on my left. And just come down. Maybe you need just to process some questions. Maybe you need to pray with somebody else. And we would love to see today you cross over from death to life in Jesus' name. That's what's available to you. God, thank you for these men and women who just made that decision. God, I pray that they would have the courage to follow up that decision, to see it actually change their life, to walk with some other people, to see it change their marriage, their family's life. And God, I pray for all of us in this room. We would just see your resurrection for ourselves and we would worship you because of it. God, we thank you for beating death on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen.